You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center in Tallahassee, Florida. We are a Jesus-centered community of Scripture, Faith, and Grace located on the campus of Florida State University. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes to give us a hope that we might be restored for eternity with all of the people that believe in Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in about uh, 1994, a guy named John Barrent uh, released a book. The, the book, it became a movie later on. You may know the movie better than the book, but the book is better as it usually is. The book was entitled Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And if you've read the book or if you've seen the movie, you kind of know what goes on in, in that. But if you, if you haven't seen the movie, if you haven't read the book, then here's what's happening in that. There's this guy named Jim Williams. And Jim Williams is a Savannah socialite. Savannah, Georgia is, is sort of this, you know, this, this artsy city in the South and, and thinks very highly of itself. And, and, and they have this huge social scene is what we find out by reading the book. And this social scene is something that is so important to those who are a part of it. And so as these people engage in the social scene, there's this guy named Jim Williams. And Jim Williams has a huge rager of a party every Christmas. And people wait for Jim Williams's Christmas party. Well, something happens in Savannah, and that thing that happens is that Jim Williams gets himself involved in a murder case. And I won't tell you how the murder case comes out, but what I will tell you is that Jim Williams fights in this murder case because he's implicated as the person who is supposed to have murdered somebody else. He fights and he fights and he fights and he spends millions and millions of dollars, and he ends up basically bankrupting himself so that he can prove his innocence. But as you read the book, you find out that the reason that he really wants to prove his innocence is not so that he can go around and say that he's innocent, but rather it is so that he can be well thought of and come back into the group of the socialites of Savannah, Georgia. The group means so much to him that he will bankrupt himself. He will do all sorts of different things, even involving crazy little trips to graveyards and things like that in order to be a part of the group again. And so it makes you kind of wonder, well, what are the groups that you're a part of? What are you a part of that you really feel like, oh, man, that group, that group is, is a group that I, I would do just about anything for. That, that group is, may, I would maybe even go as far as bankrupting myself in order to be a part of that group. Maybe that group is your family. Maybe that group is some other group. Maybe that group is a, a fraternity or a sorority. Maybe that group is, a, you know, a motorcycle gang. Maybe that group is whatever it is for you. But what is that group? What, what's that group that you would say, oh, that group, that group is, is worth it for me to be a part of. That group is very important to who I am as a person. 
Well, as you think about that, that, that maybe uh, gets you to, to start thinking about what's going on with this guy named Thomas in, in our gospel reading. And, and as we start thinking about Thomas in our gospel reading, we, we recognize that Thomas is a part of this special group, this special group that has meant a lot to Thomas over the past at least three years or so as he's been following this rabbi named Jesus, this group that gets called by John the 12, even though at this point it's only the 11 because you've got that weird thing happening with Judas. And we haven't gotten to Matthias yet where he gets reintroduced, but he's a part of this group. And that tells you even something a little bit about the group that the group doesn't change its name to the 11 just because somebody's gone. Somebody leaves, and they're still called the 12. This group has a life of its own. This group is something that's important to everybody who is a part of that group. And yet, there's trouble in the group. And that trouble in the group is that, well, Jesus appears, But Jesus doesn't appear to the 12, and Jesus doesn't appear to the 11. Jesus appears to the 10, because Thomas isn't there. Yeah, he's off at Publix. He's doing whatever he needs to do in order to live his life, but he's not in the room with the others. And so there's a rift all of a sudden in the group. There's this rift where the ten have seen Jesus. The ten have not only seen Jesus, but they have been commissioned by Jesus. They have been commissioned by Jesus to go out into the world and to speak his forgiveness. They have been given the right, the responsibility, and the privilege to go out into the world and to declare the forgiveness of sins to people. And so while Thomas was gone, they got all of this stuff, and Thomas shows back up, and they tell him about this great thing that happened, and Thomas says, well, it appears that I'm not a part of the group anymore. How often have we experienced that kind of a thing? where we have a group that we're a part of, we have a group that we love, we have a group that we feel like we're so connected with, and then all of a sudden something happens and we've been left out of it. And because we've been left out of it, we feel like we have been not only left out of that one specific incident, not left out of that one specific event, not left out of that one specific Zoom call, not left out of that one specific whatever it might be, but we feel like we've been abandoned by the group. And that's difficult. That gets us feeling like, oh man, what, what happened? Am, am I not worthy? Am, are, have these people moved on without me? Am I some sort of pariah? How do I understand what's going on here? And you can understand that that's maybe some of what Thomas is feeling when they're telling him about what happened with Jesus. And so Thomas responds, as many people do, by doubling down on that. Thomas responds by saying, if I don't see him, if I'm not able to experience this together with you, if he doesn't come and show me his 
nail marks, if he doesn't show me those nail marks so much that I can stick my finger into them and stick my hand into his side, well, then I'm out of the group. I will never believe, is what he says. I'm not going to embrace this thing that's at the center of what it means for us to be the twelve. And so you can understand a little bit of what's going on with Thomas here. But I think we also have to ask ourselves the question, what's going on with Jesus here? Right? I mean, we're talking about Jesus here, folks. We're talking about the resurrected Jesus here. We're not talking about, you know, just you traipsing into your friend's house and going, oh, well, Billy isn't here. We're talking about Jesus who knows who's in the room. He can walk through doors. He knows who's in the room, and so he knows that Thomas isn't in the room, right? And so you're like, okay, Jesus, you're being kind of a jerk. Because you're leaving Thomas out. Why are you leaving Thomas out, Jesus? I mean, it's a big question. Why leave him out? But I think he leaves him out on purpose. I mean, I hope he leaves him out on purpose. Otherwise, Jesus is just sort of capricious, right? And we don't want to believe in a capricious Jesus, so we have to understand that what Jesus is doing here by leaving Thomas out is purposeful. It's supposed to teach us a lesson. It's supposed to teach us some way of wit in which we are supposed to walk away from this story with some kind of understanding. And that understanding is found in 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 2. That reading that Blake wrote about John writing to the early Christians and telling them about this concept of restoration. He talks about this concept of what it looks like for people to be restored into Christian community. And and so it makes sense all of a sudden that Jesus comes to his ten disciples His disciples minus two. His disciples minus one that's living. His disciples that are missing out on some folks. And he comes to them first and foremost with a message that says, I am going to commission you to do the work of the kingdom. What is the work of the kingdom, Jesus? The work of the kingdom is to restore people into the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is to... bring people the forgiveness of their sins. It's to restore them into the community. And so why did I show up without Thomas here? Well, because it's inherent that if there's somebody missing, that what it means for us to be a part of the kingdom of the resurrected Christ is to bring them back in to restore them, is to reconcile with them, is to forgive them, is to bring them back in. And that is what John is telling the early Christians about. That is what Jesus is telling his disciples about. That is the heartbeat of the church in so many ways. That we have a group here. Here 
in this room, here in this congregation, here in the worldwide church of Christians who believe in the risen Christ. And a part of the great thing about this group, a part of the great thing about who we are as Christian human beings, as people who have been baptized into Christ, is that we have a way of being restored. And that way of being restored is by coming to God and saying, Lord, I have messed up. I have sinned. I have done things that I hadn't planned on doing. I have done things that I have planned on doing. I have done sins in so many different ways. And what I have done has excluded me from you and has excluded me from all of my other Christian brothers and sisters. And what I need, Lord, is for you to forgive me. What I need, Lord, is for you to show me that I can be reconciled. What I need, Lord, is for you to show me that there is some way in which I can be restored. And just like Thomas, Jesus shows us the way that we are restored. Jesus comes to us and shows us his body shaped by the cross. Shows us the nail holes in his arms, in his feet. Probably the little thorn holes in his head the long strip holes from the whip on his back that exist, it seems for eternity, if this is Jesus' resurrected body. And he comes to us and he shows us those things and he says to us, this is how you are restored. You are restored by my wounds that have set you free. You are gathered into a community of people who just like you need restoration, who just like you need forgiveness, who just like you need to be brought back into the light time and time and time again. That is a group much better than any party seen in Savannah. That is a group much better than any motorcycle gang that you could join. That is a group much better than any other group that you can join. It's even a group much better than our human families could ever hope to be. Because this group continues to show us the wounds of Christ and continues to say to us, you are forgiven and you are restored. Now may you go out this week and may you feel deep within yourself that you have seen the wounds of Christ presented to you as evidence of your restoration. And because of that restoration, may you go and restore those who are around you.
Amen.